Our scripture today will be Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. This is the word of God. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun, but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. All right. Thanks, Christina. Thanks, Michael. Um, well, throughout the story of the Bible, we, we read about cruel kings and cruel leaders, people like the Egyptian pharaoh that ordered all the, all the babies, to be, all, the, all the male babies uh, to be put away. Uh, even some of the kings of Israel were, were bad. Uh, Obadiah served under King Ahab, uh, and his wife Jezebel ordered for all the prophets to be killed, uh, and Obadiah hid a hundred in a cave. We know about Daniel's friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were uh, supposed to to worship the the statue, and they refused to do so. They were thrown in the fiery furnace, and actually they survived. Um, being a Christian under bad leadership is somewhat normative throughout the scriptures. Uh, we often even see the tension with the Apostle Paul uh, trying to honor authority and those in in high positions, while often going against those authorities. 
And now, so for us, this passage deals about kind of being with a king. We might not ever be in the office of a king or even a high official, but we're all going to have to navigate authority in, in a fallen world. We're all going to have to navigate uh, what is it like to be a faithful Christian under bad leadership, under bad leadership or bad authorities. And we see as Christians uh, over and over in the scriptures that we are to submit to authorities, that Christians should submit to the governing authorities, that wives should submit to husbands, children to parents and, and employees, their employers or supervisors or, or bosses. But, but since we live in a fallen world, these sources of authority are going to be flawed and sometimes deeply flawed. And so, so how are we going to navigate those, those situations well? Well, it's going to be difficult and it's going to require wisdom. And in verse one, we read this, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. So as he's about to go into this, uh, this, this, he's about to talk about uh, dealing with a king and all these things, he's saying we need wisdom. We need wisdom in regards to dealing with these cruel and tough kings or, or leadership. And later he's going to talk about injustice and how wisdom relates to injustice. And, and so what I want to do is I want to cover three areas that relate to wisdom. First is going to be wisdom dealing with kings. Second, wisdom for dealing with uh, injustice. And then third, just wisdom for life. So first, wisdom for dealing with kings. Look at verse two. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. So keep the king's command. Uh, the general posture that Christians should have towards authority is one of obedience and submission. Romans 13, one through two says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now, th this has come up and been uh, a little bit more controversial lately because over the last two years, the topic of government overreach has become more relevant. I guess it's always been relevant, but it seems especially so the last couple of years. And so there, there, where there's some tension here uh, is, that, well, so I'll, I'll put it this way. If the governor of Alabama came to me and said, Kevin, you need to pay taxes for, for Alabama, that would be clear overreach. He's not my authority. I don't have to obey. That one's easy. But what about when it is people who are in authority over you? They are your governing authorities. Well, now we have a real problem because we're put in this place where our posture is supposed to be towards obedience and submission towards our authorities, but they are making um, maybe unwise or, or, or rules or laws that are not good. Now we have a real problem, right? So look at uh, uh, verse three and four. Be not hasty to go from his presence and do not take your stand in an evil cause or, or a bad idea. For he does, he does whatever he pleases for the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? The word of the king is supreme and who can question him? What a tough spot for Christians to be in when we are under leadership that that is bad leadership, unwise leadership, and then even sometimes ungodly leadership. Look at verse five. Whoever keeps the command will know no evil thing, and the wise of heart will know the proper time and the just way. 
So, so the first part of verse five is saying that keeping the command will keep someone from trouble. He will know no evil thing. So you just kind of go along and the king's wrath will, will, will avoid you. But sometimes it might be worth the trouble. Like, like no one would, would tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3 that, no, you should, you should worship the idol because the king said so. So that, that's never the right thing to do. We never sin against that. But then sometimes there, there can be some gray areas, right? Where it's not as clear as what's right or wrong. It seems unwise to us. And we're just in a position where we have bad leadership, bad authority, uh, bad decisions are being made, bad ideas are being rolled out. And so what do we do? Well, the, the second part of verse 5 says, the wise in heart will know the proper time and the just way. So we need wisdom to know how to deal with difficult authorities in the proper time and the just way. And so does that mean when you get put in this difficult position with a difficult person in, in authority, do you just need to throw up a quick prayer for wisdom? That'd be better than nothing, but I'm not sure wisdom really works that way. It seems that the scriptures teach that wisdom begins with fearing the Lord. And, that, and, and the more that fearing the Lord is cultivated over time, the more that wisdom will be at the ready when it's needed. And the more that we learn to fear the Lord and, and live a life that is cultivating the fear of the Lord in our lives in the smallest of things, the more we will be prepared to know the proper time and the just way in these impossible situations when our authorities are asking of us things that we are having a difficult time with. But I should also say this, the fear of the Lord is cultivated over time. That's what puts wisdom at the ready to be applied in difficult situations. But our God is so gracious that he might give you profound wisdom when you don't even deserve it. We've seen time and time again the Lord being gracious to unworthy sinners over and over. Now, moving on, look at verse 6. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. Doesn't that second part resonate with you? Man's trouble lies heavy on him. This week, I'm quite sure that probably each one of us have had trouble that was lying heavy on you. But we should also know that even while our troubles lie heavy on us, there is a time and a way for everything. That's the first part of that verse. And that's the second time we've seen that idea, that there is a time and a way for everything. And remember in verse 5, we just said that the, the wise in heart will know the proper time and the just way. So there's a, a, a time and a way for everything, and the wise in heart will know a proper time and the just way. And, and the reason it's difficult to know the proper time and the just way for difficult situations is that we don't know what's happening in the future. Look at verse 7. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Y'all have heard me say several times as we've gone through Ecclesiastes that we don't know what's going on and no one else really know what's going on. In verse 8, now I make the point about even our life expectancy. Look at verse 8. No man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. So we don't control the length of life, ours or anybody else's. Life, as we will experience, it will seem to be largely out of control. 
And the wise will understand that. Part of being wise is understanding that life is largely out of our control. And this is what the preacher learned as he observed man having power over man to his hurt. Now, let's shift gears and consider what wisdom looks like when dealing with a lack of justice. Excuse me. So look at verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So the the issue of justice has been an an issue that's been kind of uh, talked about and discussed and controversial over the last couple of years. But I think our text today brings up an issue of justice that as all the talk of justice that's been going on over the last couple of years, this part of justice hasn't been mentioned as, as much. And it's the issue of swift justice or the, 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 the injustice of delayed justice. In Genesis 9, 6, we read this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So the Bible supports the death penalty for murder. And this is the role of a good government protecting its citizens. Going back to Romans 13, we were just there. Uh, Look at Romans 13, uh, verse 3. I'll read it if you don't want to flip there. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, some might argue that Christians should be opposed to the death penalty. We should be more forgiving and merciful. But the death penalty for murder actually serves to protect lives. So according to to David Mulhausen with the Heritage Foundation, for each murder that is executed, as many as 14 to 18 additional murders are deterred. And and this is even acknowledged by by those who are opposed to the death penalty. For example, uh, H. Nacy Moken, an economist at LSU who opposes the death penalty, agree that according to her own research, the death penalty showed a deterrent effect. And she's agreeing with with the idea we're seeing in Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. So it is good and right for justice to be done. And when it's not done, it sets the children of man's heart free to do evil. Now, this isn't really necessarily a verse about parenting, but I'm probably going to, I'm going to drift over and talk about parenting for a second, which is never fun because we're all in this together in some ways. But, but here's what I want to say. There's no shortage of of opinions or books and all this stuff about parenting. Uh, Lots of folks have, have an opinions. And when there's an abundance of books and opinions and articles and all this stuff, sometimes we can tend to neglect what the scriptures teach. Um, and so, so I think Ecclesiastes 8.11 is related to parenting in a way that I think can be helpful for us to consider. Uh, parents should discipline their children because the children of man, the, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Or as Proverbs 22.15 puts it, folly is bound up in the heart of the child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. And so when parents don't discipline their children, 
They let folly and evil run wild in their hearts, and that will ultimately make both the parent and the child unhappy. But for parents who are diligent to discipline their children, there is a blessing in that. Proverbs 29, 17 said, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. So this might bring up the question, when should I discipline my child? So uh, when, when this came up, we had someone kind of kind of mentor us through this process uh, as we kind of thought about it. And, and we were persuaded uh, to discipline our children uh, when we saw folly and foolishness come up kind of based on this Proverbs 22, 15 verse. And so as we studied Proverbs, we landed on two categories that covered a lot of areas for us. So when we studied Proverbs, what is foolishness? What is folly? We kind of came to two big categories. One was disobedience and the other was, was anger in full vent or is commonly called a temper tantrum. And so, so we found that a lot goes under those two categories. And so we tried to apply the rod of discipline when those things came up. And according to Ecclesiastes 8.11, we should want to apply it speedily. Now, let me say also in this, there is no silver bullet. There is no um, secret formula for parenting. Uh, even if we're diligent to discipline, we're really disciplined. We're going to be diligent to discipline. We're going to do what it takes, but we, we can do it the right thing in the wrong way. We can do it with anger in our heart. And James 1.20 says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So there's all kinds of ways we can mess up parenting and trying to discipline and do it right. We can neglect it completely. We can overdo it. We can do it with anger in our heart. So there's a thousand different ways that we can go, go off on this. And, and look, so, so for me, I just assume that for all of us who are parents, we just have this somewhat, whether it's a small cloud or big cloud, we have this cloud of guilt over us that we've messed up. And part of the reason for that is because we've messed up. <laughs> you know, we haven't done, I heard a pastor years ago before, before I was married, or I had children. And he said, it's not if you're going to mess up your kids, it's how much are you going to mess up your kids? So there's just a sense where none of us are going to nail it, get it perfect or hundred percent. And like, like, like we saw, our trouble lies heavy on us. And so as parents, I think we should give ourselves a break, give ourselves grace. None of us are doing this perfectly. Uh, do what you know you should do. Teach them and discipline them. Repent from either being too lazy or too angry. Apologize to your kids a lot and entrust them to God's grace. But to apply Ecclesiastes 8.11, that this one should happen in our homes and it should be done speedily. Now, changing gears, moving to verse 12 through 14. Uh, verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Verse 14, there is a vanity that takes place on the earth. There are that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And we, we touched on this last week. In life, we see things go very poorly for good people. And at the same time, we see things go really well for those who seem to have no regard for the Lord. And so, so what do we do with that? What do we do when we, when we observe in life good people, things go poorly, bad people, things seem to be going really well for them? What do we do with that? Well, this is the whole idea of what we see in uh, Psalm chapter 73, 
the author is about to lose his faith over this, that the, the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer. And so he's struggling with that. And in the end, he says, he sees this, he says, in the end, it will not go well for them. And it will be well for those who fear the Lord. And sometimes under all the weight of discouragement that we might feel buried under, we need to remember that for those who fear the Lord, it will all end well. Somehow, some way, we don't know how, but it will all end well. Now, let's consider the last couple of verses as it speaks to wisdom for life. Uh, in verse 15 to 16, we see two themes that are on repeat throughout Ecclesiastes. Uh, first, look at verse 15. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So, so how do we deal with life when we, we're dealing with bad kings or, or bad authorities, bad bosses, uh, bad government, when there seems to be a lack of, of justice in the world? What do we do with that? Well, as we're, we're going through this passage, we see something in verse 15. We enjoy life's good things. Life is really hard. Life is maddening. There's, there's bad people in authority. Uh, there's a lack of justice. And what this is saying is we enjoy life's good things when they come your way. These things are God's gift to you in a cruel and difficult world. So enjoy good food and good drinks. Work hard at whatever it is God has given you to do and do excellent work. Laugh with friends. Notice a beautiful day or sunset. Take a moment and take in the stars and be reminded of the good news that you are incredibly small and not a big deal at all. Uh, you know, you guys have probably heard that the phrase uh, carpe diem before, right? It means seize the day. Um, and I always understood that, that carpe diem, seize the day, as kind of a, an, an ambition verse, like, like get after it, hey, seize the day, make it happen, take initiative, go get them. And, and I, I was, I've been surprised this week as I've, as I've studied this, that's not actually quite what it means. Uh, it, it was used by the Roman poet Horace, and it means literally to, to pluck the day, as one might pluck a flower and, and, and admire it. Uh, and so it's less about ambition and making things happen, and it's more about enjoying the moment. Seize the day, pluck the day, take the day, and enjoy it for what it is. Uh, Webster's Dictionary even gives this definition with to Carpe Diem. It says, the enjoyment of pleasures of the moment without concern for the future. Now, we, we almost might think of that, well, that's a bad thing. We don't want to do that. And there's some, you know, something to say about there's prudence and planning and all that. But the enjoyment of pleasures of the moment without concern of the future, that's the Bible's idea. That's what the scriptures teach. Life is tough. Life lies heavy on us, on me, and on you. So enjoy the good times and don't worry so much about the future. That's what the Bible teaches. Enjoy the moment at hand in the present and don't worry about tomorrow. Life is hard. Tomorrow's going to be hard, probably. Enjoy the moment you got right in front of you. And, and this is what Jesus was saying. He said, don't be anxious about tomorrow. And so many times we're robbed of God's good things because tomorrow, which isn't real yet, is taking us out of the present. 
Now, moving on, let's look at verse 16 and 17. Uh, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much a man may toil in his seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So the main idea here is that man cannot figure out what God is doing. Have you had something bad happen to you or somebody else and asked, what is God doing here? God, God, what are you doing? I've asked that to myself. I've asked that in regards to others. I've said it out loud to others. I would like to start a campaign to stop asking that question. I think what the scriptures are teaching, what Ecclesiastes is teaching, is that we don't know what God is doing. And when we ask that question, we can set ourselves up to, to the idea that we might know what God is doing and we just don't know. And I can't think of one place in the scriptures that encourages us to ask the question, God, what are you doing? We ask it a lot and I think we assume it's a fair question. I think we need to quit asking that question. He has given us his word and we can know what God is doing as far as he has revealed it in his written word. We can know that God has a plan to redeem his people. We can know how that plan works and how Jesus fits into that and his, how his life uh, lived in complete righteousness can count for us and his death can be, our, can, can be our, our substituted death that we deserve. But beyond that, beyond what is written, we just don't know. And, and we need to be at peace with that. What, what does your future have? Will you be married or when we get married or your kids and all this we just don't know the future. We have today, we have his word. And outside of that, we just don't need to spend much energy worrying about it. We can know what God has revealed in his word, but when it, become, when it comes to the particulars, we just don't know. Why are bad people in control? Why, why, why are bad people in high places making stupid decisions? We don't know. Why is there a lack of justice? Why does this keep happening? Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why is anybody doing anything? We don't know. Why does it seem that, that, that for bad people, things go so well, and there's so many good people that things go so poorly? We don't know. We don't know, and God has not tasked us with the responsibility of finding that out. So we should embrace that what we cannot know. A, a good verse in this is Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us, our children forever, that we may do all the words of, of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord. They do not belong to us. What does belong to us is his revealed word that we should obey him. So in summary, we live in a dangerous and difficult world. There are bad leaders and there is a lack of justice. The best we can do is to fear the Lord, to gain wisdom, and, 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 and enjoy the good things of life that God gives us daily, and be at peace that most of our biggest questions will most likely go unanswered. And, and the good news for those who believe the gospel, for those who trust in the finished work of Christ and have, and are, have turned from their sin to follow him, this life, with all the troubles that weigh on us, this life 
is as close to hell as we get. And sometimes it feels like it's getting pretty close. But our great Savior has done all that is necessary to deliver us from this evil age. And he is making all things new. And we can know this for sure. This is one of the things that he has revealed is that in the end, because of the work of Christ, all will be well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now with troubles lying heavy on our heart. They are a variety of troubles. They keep us up at night. Um, We don't know what to do. There are several situations where we feel stuck. There's no good decision to make. We need wisdom. We feel very much uh, that it is out, out of reach at times. And so in these times, we remember that we are living in an an evil age, and we long for the day for Jesus to come and take his people to himself and make all things new. And we thank you that because of the finished work of Christ, this is as close to hell as we will get, and we await the day that you make all things right. In Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.